0: Welcome to day three of our look together through Hebrews chapter eight. We're gonna look at verses six to nine today. In these verses, in fact, in verse eight, we're gonna see that a quote starts from Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. It's a quote about a new covenant that's come into this world. It's a quote about a new thing that God is doing in this world. Let me read for you these verses, six to nine. But the ministry of Jesus, the ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Here is this new covenant that God has brought into our lives. Now, we're going to talk about this in the next few days. And in beginning to talk about this, I want to remind you of something. It might open your mind in a new way to what God has done through this new covenant. The word covenant is the same word as the word testament. A covenant is a testament, a testament is a covenant. It is this agreement, this binding agreement. When I say testament, obviously, the first thing you and I think of is the Bible. The Bible has a New Testament and an Old Testament. Did you ever wonder why? How did they come to be called the New Testament and the Old Testament? Why not just one long book? Why not part one and part two? Or why not God and God the sequel for the New Testament? Why not the story of Israel and then the story of Jesus? Why New Testament and Old Testament? Many of us realize that the New Testament contains something different And then it contains the story of Jesus, the beginning of the church. But why is it called the New Testament? Just to make this really practical, if somebody was sitting with you at lunch and they said, why is a New Testament called the New Testament? What would you say? I think most of us would say, well, because it's not the Old Testament. It's the New Testament. But what about the Testament part? What does New Testament mean? Well, as we just said, the idea of Testament is the idea of a covenant. It's an agreement. In Luke 22.20, Jesus talks about the cup of the covenant, or God's promise, a new agreement. Second Corinthians 3.6 talks about the servants of a new covenant, a new agreement, commitment between us and God. These verses that we're looking at right now, Jesus is taught, told to be the mediator of a better covenant. There are different, different Greek words that are used to express the idea of a contract, a marriage contract or a business contract. And this idea of testament It really comes into our day. It's the time that we use uh, the word testament. We use it with the Bible, but we also talk about somebody's last will and testament. We use this word in regard, and they did too, to a will. A will. The new covenant is not a mutual agreement, contract between two people, like a marriage or, or a business. It's a will. It's God's will given into our lives. A will is an agreement made binding. It's decided upon by one person. God decided to offer this binding agreement. And it's an agreement that's either accepted or rejected by the other person. Somebody could leave something to you in a will and you could decide to accept it or reject it. That's your decision. But the agreement is already set up by them. God made a will in which you and I are offered the promises of life and hope and peace. And our decision is whether to accept or to reject what's offered. Now, of course, all of us realize that in order to put a will into action, somebody has to die. And all of us realize that Jesus did die. That's exactly what Jesus did so that God could offer to us his promise. And When you look at this, you begin to see clearly the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Testament Is an agreement that was more like a contract. So we read here in these verses that they didn't keep up to the contract. They weren't faithful to the contract that God had made. You keep my laws, you be my people. And so God turned away from them. That's the inevitable result of the contract that they'd made of this law. There was this mutual responsibility that they had, and they weren't able to hold up their end of the bargain. God certainly did, but they weren't. In the New Testament, we have an agreement that's more like a will. God has taken the responsibility. And we have to choose whether to accept it or reject it. Now, somebody on our research team asked what I thought was a good question. Why did God then even have an old covenant? I mean, if the old covenant wasn't gonna work, I mean, God knows everything. He knew they weren't gonna follow those laws. Then why not just move straight to the new covenant? Right after Adam and Eve sin, why didn't Jesus just come and die on the cross right then? Why wasn't he the first one born? The first birth be a virgin birth. Why wouldn't he do it that way? Well, let me say a couple of things about that. First of all, I do not know all the answers to the timing of God's plan. I don't know the answers. I do know the Bible says that at the right time Jesus was born. So it was in God's timing that this happened. I don't know all the answers to the timing, but I do know that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, does show us all the ways that will not work to establish a relationship with God. In one sense, the entire Old Testament is a teaching guide to us of the ideas we might have of what would get us close to God that shows us clearly those won't work. One idea we might have is if you just start perfect. If you start perfect in a garden and everything's perfect there, then you're going to have a perfect relationship with God. Well, that's where Adam and Eve started. They had one opportunity to do the wrong thing and they took it. So that doesn't work. Another idea that people have is, well, just start again. Find the one faithful best family and the whole earth, wipe everybody else out and just start again with that one family and we'll all be fine. And that's what happened with Noah. And they were a faithful family, but it didn't change everything. And God said, I'll never send a flood again. Another idea people have is just show powerful miracles. If you show people miracles that are powerful enough, they will inevitably follow God the rest of their lives and get everybody else to follow God. So you see the 10 plagues in Egypt. You see the dividing of the Red Sea and the people walking through on dry ground. It wasn't weeks, even days after that great miracle that they were grumbling against God again. Now, if you think you would do any different, if I think I would do any different, I'm just lying to myself. These are examples of just how we act as human beings. We forget the miracles. We might start again, but we go back to where we were. You could set up everything to be perfect, but we still have a struggle that's within us. There are some who think if God would just give us the perfect directions Then we would know what to do. So God did that. He set out his law. He said, here's exactly how to live. You live this way, you will be blessed beyond measure. And they couldn't live that way. They just kept falling away from God's laws. Just as you and I struggle to follow God's directions in our lives. And they didn't have the Holy Spirit in their lives empowering them. They were trying to follow God's laws based on human energy and power, and it's impossible to do. They're an example to us of this. Other people say, well, if God would just speak like in an audible voice, and we'd know what to do. And so he sent the prophets and he spoke to them in an audible voice and nobody listened. As you look through the entire Old Testament, it's really an example of all the ways that we think might cause us to reach to God, but there's one problem with all of them. We don't have the power to live it out in ourselves. The problem is me. The problem is you. The problem is us. The problem is our own hearts. We need a new kind of agreement. We need a new testament. We need a New Covenant. One of the questions behind this study is the personal question: Am I trying to live as an Old Testament person or as a New Testament person? Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, or New Covenant? You see, the truth is we don't meet God on equal terms. That's Old Testament. I'll meet you, God, halfway. I'll do the best I can. I'll I'll meet you like a tenth of the way. You do nine tenths. I'll do one tenth. We don't meet God on equal terms in any sense. We meet him on his terms or not at all. And that's fine with me because his terms are grace and love and peace and freedom and eternal life. His terms are this new covenant that offers us a new life through the gift of what he's done in his son and offers us a new power we're going to talk about later this week to live out that new life through his spirit sent into our lives. Let's take a moment to pray together as we pray, I just want to encourage you, if you've never accepted this new covenant, to say, Father, instead of living life on my agreement and how I'm going to get close to you, whatever that idea might be, going to church, doing good, reading books, whatever it might be, instead of my covenant, I accept your covenant. You gave your life for me. And in your will, you've offered me this inheritance of eternal life. If only I'll accept the gift of what you've given, the gift of forgiveness and life. I accept that gift now. I accept that gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow, we're going to look together at the, at the daily new that the new covenant brings into your life.